Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community. Inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, Chris Jonu, back at it again. This is Startup Grind Global Podcast, and you're in for a treat today, that's for sure. It's probably one of my my favorite conversations. I had three superstars um, in the studio together. I had Patrick Lee, the co-founder of Rotten Tomatoes, along with Bart DeCrem, who was the founder of Tapulous and then uh, was the senior vice president at Disney Games and um, helped launch Mozilla, and Holly Liu, um, co-founder of Kabam Games, $1 billion exit. Um, that was also the one of the traveling, the traveling partner for Y Combinator. All together, and they've all come together to talk about Mozilla and the new incubator for Mozilla called Fix the Internet. So incredibly important initiative, and we just have a great conversation, and each of them were bouncing off each other. So it was just a lot of fun, and um, all for a good cause. I hope we find some great startups in the audience that can join the movement and uh, you know get supported by Mozilla in the process to help change the world. Hope you enjoy the chat. Cheers. Welcome, everyone. I've got some uh, some heavy hitters on the show today, Every, and everyone, although um, big entrepreneurs in their own right, are here to talk about Mozilla and the Mozilla Incubator. But before we do that, for anyone that's not familiar with my main man, Patrick Lee there, can you just give the quick 30-second bio, Patrick? Uh, sure. I'm a serial entrepreneur, done six different startups, four in the Bay Area, one in China, one in Hong Kong. The one I'm best known for is a movie review site called Rotten Tomatoes. And these days I'm just, you know, mentoring and advising startups, you know, working with different organizations, uh, working in different nonprofits, um, and just trying to help the next generation of entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Patrick, are you just, is it just me or am I seeing like, like a, like a, not a resurgence, but like people seem to be talking more about Rotten Tomatoes now in, in movies and TV shows. I knew it was already ingrained in the in the you know in the culture, but certainly I see it popping up more and more. Or is that just me? Um, it kind of comes and goes. Usually there'll be some wave of some director or someone that's unhappy with the system. I mean, it, to be honest, it's not a perfect system. Uh, it was something that we came up with twenty some years ago, and it's and it's using the same formulas as that back then. Um, so people will have issues with it, and some are that's legitimate. So and, it kind of comes and goes, but yeah, every, I think yeah. during the summer too, especially because there's a lot more big budget movies coming out, you're going to have more complaints from studios, directors, producers, you know, anytime anyone gets yeah. a bad score, they're going to complain. <laughs> it's pretty funny, actually, Patrick, just the other day, I, I read a pitch about wanting to do a better movie review site. So it's so funny to hear you say that because I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, how would you, like, would you, uh, it, like, Update it? Like, how would you update it? Well, the way the site works is it, it tells you the percentage of critics that recommend seeing a movie or not, right? And there's also the other, the user score, which is yeah. the percentage of users that like the movie. But um, I think, to be honest, the best version of it would be a personalized score. So everyone would have their own score because everyone has different tastes. Like if, so essentially, if you could put in what you liked and you didn't like, and it could 
compare that. Or against- recommend what you might like based on that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So they can compare against all predicted users, and then uh, you would have a score. So you might like like really cheesy comedies, and that movie that's a cheesy comedy might be a hundred percent for you, and someone that hates that it might show it as twenty percent for them. You know what I mean? Um, everyone true. has a different score because right now the whole problem is when you have one score for everyone, everyone has different tastes. So it'll grieve for some people, and some people they'll be like, "That's totally wrong." Right? When, hey, Patrick, sure. when is the last? Sorry, Chris, to wreak havoc already. No, no, you going to do that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to control this thing. When you invited us, Patrick, when was the last time you had your fingers all up in in Rotten Tomatoes? Did you have you been? Detachment for like for how many years have you since you were we less involved? We started in 2004. Uh, probably over the next year or two, we still had some people from the original team working on it. But right now, there's no one from the original team. There is one guy, uh, Tim Ryan, who was there the year after we sold, and he's still there. So he's actually. Because I have a question for you. So it's been like 15 years since you had your fingers in there, right? Yeah, but I still do meet you... with them. I still keep in touch with them. Oh, that's right. That was sort of my question. My question was going to be. How often do you go, why aren't they doing this? For example, what mm-hmm. you just said, are you, do you ever, how often do you feel that itch that, you, that your baby's out there all grown up and relevant, right? And talked about and, and, and you don't have direct impact, but it sounds like you have some impact still. Um, so about every, every once or twice a year, probably I'll go in, you know, down there, meet up with them and just get lunch and just like hear things I think and just give them different ideas. So a lot of stuff I, I talk about they have definitely thought about those things. You know, I was saying someone should make, you know, TV guide for streaming, you know, but actually turns out someone has, some people have already done that, but you know, I'll, I'll give them ideas. They're actually really good about listening and, and they're quite responsive. So it's, it's been good. And for all of us who did run tomatoes, we're all just happy it's still around because we've had so many friends, like Holly knows tons of friends that have sold their companies. And within a year or two, those companies are just gone. And, yeah. you know, five to 10 years after they're gone, like no one's ever heard of those companies anymore. Right? Well, do you, ever, do you ever get all worked up where you go like, why aren't they fixing this? Ugh, I wish I was there with my keys and roots, you know? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think for the most part, they've done a pretty good job. So I, I'm pretty happy with, cool. with the way it's gone. Well, yeah. well, well, first of all, I meant in a good light, by the way, Patrick. I was watching a series, um, um, Black as Fuck. I don't know if you've seen the comedy series. It's, no, it's, black, no. it's black and then AF, but we all know uh, what the AF is, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, watch that. And they're just talking about, you know, they go watch this film and they're like, what is it on Rotten Tomatoes? And it was like an 80. And he's like, what the fuck? He's like, um, tell me what the Godfather got. And it was like, you know, 79. He's like, you telling me? And the, the whole series of it, the whole episode is about is about Rotten Tomatoes. But quickly, um, before we get into, you know, um, you know, bouncing off each one another, um, I want to introduce my other two guests. So I've got I've got Bart here. Bart, what's the? Can you give me the thirty second bio? And and um, I know there's a lot in there. Big senior vice president at Disney, founder yourself. That's with acquired by Disney, uh, and now with Mozilla. How, how am I doing? Yeah, that's about it. I was right. I, I was part of the Firefox launch back in two thousand and four. That's how old I am. Then I went and built another browser, and then I built this iPhone game that called Tap Tap Revenge. Thanks, Holly. It sold to Disney, so I was there, and I'm I'm back at Disney now. I've also spent about half of my life um, doing community and nonprofit work. So it'd be fun if we talked about some of that. And Mozilla is a nonprofit. Um, Absolutely, I've done a and lot what, of community work. What's all this music stuff in the background? Is that the what music making, stuff? What are you making, talking about? Stuff um, making beats, yeah. in, making beats in your so, spare time. What's going on? So what happened is, 
You should tell them what Tap Tap Revenge is. The, the big hit that you know, means I have a house over my head to begin with is this music game called Tap Tap Revenge. It's kind of guitar hero on the iPhone, and it became uh, the first hit on the App Store. Right. It was the first, before Angry Birds, it was the first big thing in 2008 on the App Store. And because of that, I ended up spending all my time uh, in LA in the music industry. We did like five Lady Gaga revenge games and Katy Perry revenge. And I spent a lot of my time in that world, right? And I was a radio DJ when I was like 13, 14. So because of this, I was like, ah, oh, I should get reconnected. So I started doing some DJing. And oh. then my DJ producer was like, you know, you should try to produce some music. And it's been my big project for the last five years is I've been creative as an entrepreneur, I guess, but I've never been like creative, creative, you know, like making cool stuff. Like I don't code and I don't make music and I can't draw. And so when my DJ producer friend was like, hey, we can make a song. I was like, I don't have any ideas. I don't know where to start. Like a whole big chip on there's like two monkeys on my shoulder, you know? Um, so the coolest thing in my life for the last five years has been I've learned how to make music you know and start noodling and things start coming out and then i love synths i tend to love analog ones and less computer involved so that's a mini move over there and i've got a roads back there a bunch of cool stuff and it's it's my hobby very cool and what i'm detecting a bit of an accent is it no dutch, dutch? What are you about? so <laughs> offensive uh for, yeah dutch that's really good um it, it, i i'm from belgium but i went to the international school people in belgium they they talk like this People in the Netherlands, they talk like this. It's like a softer thing. But I ended up with Dutch kids in Belgium, some somewhere in the like Canadian Dutch, you know. And so uh -huh. it's very few people that can guess the accent. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, I got a, a buddy uh, who is the founder of Startup Bootcamp, uh, Rude Hendricks. And he's a big, he used to be. Rude Hendricks. Yeah, and he used to be big on Dutch Rude. TV, but that's uh, kind of, uh, this sounds a little bit like that. And then Holly, my friend. Hi. Hey, we've got Holly Lou here. There. Founder founder of Kabam Games, traveling partner at YC. What else? And now Mozilla. <laughs> yeah, I've been helping out Mozilla. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, basically I helped I co-founded a company called Kabam. We made games on the mobile phone. Um, we made games for a lot of Hollywood IPs, such as Marvel. Um, you know, I was just reading, which is kind of funny. It was Marvel Contest of Champions, and they actually released an arcade game. Um, so you can actually play it if you're in the U.S. You can play it. Maybe there's Dave and Buster's in Australia. Maybe not. I, I, I know the one because I lived in the U.S. Yeah, I know. Okay. It's but, an yeah. adult version of Chuck E. Cheese. So yeah. it's really great because, like, one time my brother-in-law walked by the mall. They're like, oh, my gosh, your game is here. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, We've also done some other games uh, for Fast and Furious, The Hobbit, Hunger Games, probably any PG-13 type games. We've, we've made something. But the funniest thing about our story is we started as a corporate social network and exited as a mobile gaming company. And we, came, we became a unicorn in 2014 with the Alibaba investment. And then um, we sold in 2017. And um, I just I, previously, I spent uh, about I went to Australia a couple of times, actually. That's how we met. Um, I went with um, the Girl Geek Academy. Sarah Moran was there, so I'm going to give her a plug. Um, and she invited me to help um, kind of with a lot of her initiatives of getting more girls uh, into tech. Um, I was there to help host as a, a mentor for a hackathon. It was great. I brought my family out there. So there's just so many great things. And then also with Cheryl Ty, she did Run the World and Tech Formation, those types of tech events. And that's how we met Chris. And then um, 
I came back and I was visiting partner at YC for a while. And now I'm helping out Bart and uh, the Mozilla crew, uh, which is really exciting. And you, you hey, were a bunch of female founders this morning for Mozilla. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's true. It was really exciting. Can I make yeah. one more detour, ditchy thing? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Of course. It's so interesting that I just learned that that Kabam started as a corporate social network. Tap, Tapula started as wanting to be a mobile social network. So I think what we have... Oh, that's another hilarious. Well, oh, yes. I think it's what like... it is... Do you remember those charts, Holly, when gaming was just... It sucked all the air out of the ecosystem on the App Store for like five years. And then you would see... Oh, yeah. the, Remember those charts that would say like what percentage of time are people spending in games versus other apps on the iPhone? And you would see yes, the game I, thing going I, a little bit like that and you see the social networking going like this. Yes. And so I think if we'd come three years later, we might have been social networks. Possibly. It might be possible, but it's still games like just by far beat it. And we also, I don't know, for you, for you, you might have jumped straight onto mobile a lot faster than we did. We were on Facebook. We did our, we moved from corporate social networking into TV shows and sports teams for uh, community apps for TV shows and sports teams. Grew those like really big, like over 30 million registered users. And like, it was really funny at the time, this is the entertainment tie is AB, there, there's like three huge networks in the US, like ABC, NBC, CBS. They wanted to distribute their, their TV shows on Facebook, but they didn't call Facebook up because Facebook had a really crappy video system at the time. I don't know if you guys remember, but it was really like, it just was non-existent. So they distribute their episode. Like you could watch these TV shows inside of our apps on Facebook. It was kind of funny, but then we had the financial crisis and that's what caused us into games. And we ended up in Facebook games for a while. And then, um, you were smart, Bart, you, I, you were on mobile a lot earlier than anybody else. Well, you know what had happened is I had just lived in Korea for a year and a half. Uh, and I had grinded yes. through all these different phones. And when I was living in Korea, people were dating on their phone. They were, they were living on their phone before the iPhone. And but I was that was like, uh, so the with the Nokia candy bar, right? Like with all, all of yeah, those. All of it was a skate telecom and all these different phones. And it was like, brrr, all this stuff. And I came back to America. Uh, like, why is this stuff not here? Yeah. And then the iPhone you, launched. I was like, that's going to be big. Uh, so and then, then, yeah, and then because, I started hacking that thing in jailbreak. Before, and Steve Jobs oh. was like, there will never be an app store. And I was like, yes, there will. And I got, you know, it turns out I was right, you know? like Yeah, that was a good bet. Right. That was a good bet. And it's good that you, you waited for the iPhone. It just felt like the future, you know? It felt like this is the oh, thing. Oh, yeah. If I hadn't like, lived in Korea, I probably wouldn't have felt it that sort of in my gut, you know? Oh, no. That and Holly, uh, did, did you and Bart know each other? I mean, like, do you at the, like, the iTunes Awards thing together? <laughs> <laughs> Can you make something no, up with we... <laughs> we've definitely crossed paths there's people in common things in common like i i know i know of tap tap there's a lot of like i know we've like crossed paths so for sure uh, so yeah um uh, so let, let's get in let's jump into some of the mozilla stuff uh you know and i'll start with you but because you know you were there for the for the launch um why is this so important to you? Why, why, um, why are we, you know, rallying behind it, and and how how has it got to a point where you're now giving back to um, entrepreneurs? Well, it's two things for me. One is I came here. I'm I'm kind of old, you know. I came here, and it was like Steve Jobs and the iMac and Wheels for the Mind, and just the appeal of technology to just be interesting and beautiful. And to just solve problems and bring us closer together and create opportunity and let people, I don't know, rise to the level of their ambition, all that stuff, right? That's why I moved here from Belgium. 
So I feel like so many of us, that's why we are here because we're nerds, we're tinkerers, and we believe that this is a powerful tool that can create opportunity. And I personally feel that in Silicon Valley, we lost the plot a little bit in the last few years. And I didn't realize it until there was an election in 2016. It was like, what, what just happened? And how did that happen? And how did we all contribute? And what did I do in my startups? And how have we thought about data and how we grow our companies and all this kind of stuff? And, and I feel like there's an opportunity. Can we, can we use the moment to get back to the power of technology to build the world that we want to live in? Um, and I think Mozilla, we did that in 2004 when Firefox came out. I think it's fair to say that we saved the internet. Uh, at the time, IE had 98% market share, and there was a lot of proprietary tie-ins between the operating system and the web browser. I think without Firefox, there wouldn't be the iPhone because there wouldn't be the open web for the phone to tap into. And so I think we saved the internet. Um, but I think today there's a lot of great stuff happening online. but you know, it's a little banged up in places, you know, between the power of three or four or five really big companies and the polarization and filter bubbles and the extent to which the business models are driving how we're building our apps and the ideology with which we build our yeah. companies. There's a lot of, I love entrepreneurs. Um, I love building companies. I love making money. That's great. But can we think more broadly and go back to this is really powerful technology. Let's solve big problems with it and build cool stuff. I want, I yeah, want to get back think... to how it gained momentum. Sorry, Holly. Oh, yeah. I was just going to add to that. I mean, I, I know it might be sound like a conversation of the oldies but goodies, but there, like when the internet first came out, it was like the reason why we started with a corporate social network bar, I don't know if you knew this, was there was this concept of Web 2.0 that was coming out and there was this book called the Clue Train Manifesto. And this is the conversation around at the time was this whole idea of democratizing the internet of like blogs was something that was really new. YouTube, like the, what they call UCG was very new, like user content generation, right? Like the, like it, it, it's interesting that in the 1990s, like Patrick is saying like the reviews were actually these experts of movie reviews. And for the first time, it felt like now it was going into the hands of the of the people, and that's how we ended up with like going corporate social network because social networks it was it was moving the hands into that, and the conversations at the time was really a lot around identity, like a lot around democratizing, a lot around preserving that, and I think Mozilla did have a huge kind of hand in that in, in many ways. The conversation for me, I think, really shifted in two thousand eight uh, with the financial crisis. I feel, and I, I could be really wrong, but like. Now, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, and don't, don't get me wrong, I do think it's incredibly important to know things like your LTV, your metrics, your funnel metrics, your engagement. Like, they, like there's so many ways where we've improved and professionalized entrepreneurship. But at the same time, I think um, the interesting thing is, is like, could we have some room for some of that conversation of identity democratization or else you do end up with a little bit of the state with where we're at, which is kind of misinformation, fake news, um, who, who can say what and who, who can verify what and who, who do you trust? So, uh, skill, like and, is there, and is there enough innovation happening when there's this much power yeah. held by three, $4 trillion companies, you know, like, is there enough room for new ideas to thrive? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I guess in um, so I'll, I'll stick with you, Bart, for a minute. But I want to make sure, Patrick. Patrick, I want to hear Patrick um, 
particularly because I know that Patrick for last, you know, ever since I've known him, has been giving back and and seems so well aligned with the mission for um, Mozilla. Um, but can you just talk about the you know Mozilla's early days and how it just kind of exploded like that? And um, yeah. yeah, well, that's why we're doing this thing. Um, I, I came around in 2004. And we had just a guy named Mitch Kapoor and Mitchell Baker, who's the CEO of Mozilla now, uh, had negotiated. Uh, there had been Netscape and Time Warner, and then there was a truce brokered between AOL and Microsoft, and AOL no longer needed Netscape. And instead of shutting it down, the Mozilla Foundation was created. And Mitch Kapoor, who had created Lotus One Two Three, he was he helped set that up with Mitchell Baker. And and I and I was brought in to write a press release or something, and and one thing that's another, I stuck around for a year, um, and was part of the Firefox launch. But what was interesting about that nine month period is that we had ten people creating a Mozilla Foundation, and basically they were there was Brendan Eich who was the architect, invented JavaScript, and was the architect of a lot of Mozilla, right? Um, and then mostly we were managing these hundreds of community contributors in the open source world. Some of them worked at Red Hat or Oracle or IBM. Many of them were just students contributing. And then what happened is a guy named Dave Hyatt and Ben Gujer and Blake Ross and one or two more people, they kind of got bored. And without permission, they started, they thought Mozilla, the suite, and Netscape, the product suite, was kind of bloated. And they started building something better without all the fat. And when I came around, it was called Firebird 0 0.7. Oh. <laughs> and it was a non-authorized project. It was like a skunk works thing. And AOL was like, there's something wrong with the name. And then we had to clean that up. And then the name became Firefox. But what happened is three people that were a little bit bored and that had exceptionally good taste, you know, and they were on the money, they shipped it. And then Mitchell supported and allowed it to happen. And Mozilla did. And thus was born Firefox. Wow. So when I reconnected with Mitchell six months ago and she said, hey, can you help us think through what other things we should be building? I was like, oh, you know, so many ways to think about this and we can sort of have a thesis around change and all that kind of stuff. But my favorite way to think about change is when I was at Disney, there was this game called Where's My Water that we built that literally got to a billion users. Um, and then Firefox, it was the same thing where there was just a few people with just exceptional taste and opinion and the ability to rally folks behind them and we let them do that so i said to mitchell all i kind of want to do is find i don't know 10 amazing people and let them kind of do whatever they want to do as long as it's aligned with our mission and that's how we ended up here that sounds like a good boss and then and then patrick like you know as as i'm hearing this story from bart there must there's a lot of synergies with with the growth i guess of rotten tomatoes and people contributing from all around the world can you tell a little bit about you know the journey of, of Rotten Tomatoes and how you landed uh, helping Mozilla? Um, they're kind of separate, but like uh, yeah, with Rotten Tomatoes, when we started, you know, everything we did uh, manually it was all static HTML. We found a product that people wanted, and then gradually started automating it, bringing in different data sources. Eventually, building a tool for us to do our, our own content management system. Then we built a tool for critics to submit directly. And then when you know, UGC came around uh, that Holly mentioned, we eventually allowed users to start putting in their own scores as well. So we gradually went from aggregating to UGC, where people could actually put their own content on. Sorry, what's UGC um, stand for? Uh, user-generated content. User-generated content. And so 
for me, one thing is after we sold Rotten Tomatoes in 2004, I went to Asia for nine years. And when I was there, I was fairly disconnected from the tech scene in the Bay Area. And one thing I, I noticed when I came back was it felt like it changed quite a bit from when I left in 2004 to when I got back in 2013. And I would like, what not- What were the say, changes? Like, what, what I would changes, say it was not for the better. It felt like, you know, because when I was doing Ron Tomatoes was after the internet bubble burst was after 9-11. So it was a really tough time. If you were doing a tech startup at that time, it's because you really wanted to do something. And, I, you know, again, I might sound like angry old guy, but um, <laughs> I felt like we were just trying to do something cool with our friends, you know, ideally make, make something that was meaningful and useful for people. And when I came back, I think because of the success of things like Google and Facebook and these other things, and maybe the social network movie, it seemed like the barrier felt like Hollywood to me, where just like Hollywood, everyone, every waiter you run into is like trying to be an actor, has a script in their back pocket. You know, in the Bay Area, suddenly everyone in oh their God. mother yeah. was trying to do a startup. Everyone had an idea. Everyone knew someone who got rich off, off doing a startup or working at a startup. And so everybody was doing it. And it kind of felt like for the wrong reasons, because they wanted to be rich. They wanted to be famous. Not that they naturally would have done it. Like if the market wasn't so good for startups, those people would have been, who knows, doctors, engineers, bankers, management consultants, lawyers. But because the pull of the gravity of, of doing startups in the Bay Area was so strong, everyone was in startups. And it, I felt like it kind of changed while I was away and from when I went away to when I came back. And so, um, yeah, definitely. And the other thing I noticed was also with like the politics, everything else, you know, it's not like the trolls didn't exist back in the early 2000s. It definitely did. But somehow now, if maybe because you put so many more people on, and it's so much easier to be anonymous and stuff. Like back then, the worst you would see is maybe like a MySpace. But now, go to any newspaper on any article that's even remotely political, or even something like talking about the coronavirus, which is somehow it became political in the US, which was crazy to me. And there's people just yelling at each other on both sides, and they're not hearing each other. And it's like, just really, certain things have kind of gone for the worse. I mean, you look at a lot of YouTube comments and what people have, you know, you talk to any female who uses Instagram and they're like, yeah, I'm getting all these like super scary messages through like direct messages and stuff like that. And uh, definitely some things feel wrong to me. So I think when Holly kind of called me and started telling me about this thing with Mozilla's builders program, and I looked into it and when they're saying fix the internet, you know, of course, anyone who's kind of entrepreneurial, they're going to be like, oh yeah, here's what I would do. And they have all these ideas. But to me, I mean, especially comparing to late nineties and stuff like that, usually back then, I, I really feel like the worst thing is just really ugly websites. You know, like think about anything on GeoCities. That's almost like the worst thing that happens. But now it's just, I feel like it's much, the colors. It's yeah, much, the bleak much tag. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there, are, there are good things that come out of the technology, but there's a lot of bad things. I mean, even the stuff that's happening with elections and the way people are trying to, you know, change people's opinions and things about privacy. So there's a, a lot more problems. And so for me, I'm like, this, this is just fits. It's super easy to promote something. Cause if I can't, if I don't believe in it, I can't promote it. But for something like what Mozilla is doing, I'm like 110%, I can do it. Like I can totally tell people because I, this is something I can really sell. Brilliant. 
So perfect, perfect segue, I think, there, Bart, with Fix the Internet. Can you give the premise for the, the entrepreneurs that are listening and, um, and, and the particular programs you have running? Yeah. Um, well, so what actually happened, sorry, it's not going to be straight enough of an answer, but what actually happened is in the spring, we said, huh, let's try something. Right after the shelter-in-place uh, COVID lockdown started happening, we put out a call for action, a call for ideas, uh, to computer science students. Uh, and we announced that we were looking for ideas for how to fix the internet. And we got the word out to schools all around the world. And 1,500 students responded with 520 teams, it was. And we ended up funding 25 of those teams and building a program where all the other teams could work. And we gave them mentoring for free um, um, if, to work on their projects. So today, there's something like 130 projects that are being built on our Slack including those 25 that we gave a little bit of funding to. And it's been really amazing. Like I have this video sitting on my computer that's the 25 students from the MV, teams from the MVP lab introducing their projects. And the diversity of the ideas and of the people and of the lenses and where the world people are coming from, it's amazing. And I, when, when, when we got to that point, I literally called Mitchell. I was like, you got to watch this video because this is the future. Uh, so that to me was the catalyzing event is just watch that video um, that's about six minutes long where you see these teams with fresh ideas. And then one of them is this project called Emilio, uh, A-M-E-L-I-O.org, that is trying to bust up the telecom industry around the um, prison industry in America. And one of, one of the things America is really good at is locking people up and building a whole industry around that. And then there's a billion and a half dollar industry that's all about making money from loved ones trying to call their loved ones in jail. Like you're paying like, I don't know, $2 a minute to call into a prison like it's 1990. And so we're taxing poor people who are trying to get in touch with their loved ones that are incarcerated so that we can support sheriff departments. You know, they're trying to blow that up by offering a platform where you can send letters to your loved ones free of charge. That's a nonprofit project. It's a group of Yale students and it's a movement. And so many people want to be part of that and be able to help them think through how to build this thing up. Amazing. Another project that I'm super proud of just launched today, actually, out of Canada. Um, and it's a team of Chinese Canadian uh, students. Um, and they noticed that a lot of their extended family is on WeChat groups in, in Canada. And they're part of this thing in, in China. It's called Pinduoduo, which is a group buy platform. And what it is in Canada, so there they are, Chinese Canadians, doing these groups where they're buying, they're doing food co-ops, you know, and then they're selling it to their neighbors. So these students have launched this week, actually, a platform where they are now going to the farmer's market and they're building a web platform where these group by hosts, organizers, can connect directly into the platform. They then drive a truck and they bring it to people. Oh my God, this is so cool. This is about connecting farmers with local communities in a grassroots co-op format. And it's an amazing business that these students are building. So super excited about that. So we have 25 of these. Pardon me? What's the name of that one, but That one's called Trophy, T-R-O-F-I. But I think it's something like gettrophy.com or something. I think it might be gettrophy.com. My, another one, and that'll be the last one uh, mm -hmm. that we're super proud of also out of Canada, uh, is uh, Shop Neutral. And it is an extension for a browser. It's not unlike Honey, which is the first browser extension that's really massively taken off, right? What this thing does is when you're on Amazon, it shows you the carbon impact of your purchases. And then it lets you offset them by doing 
by biking to school or by buying offsets, you know, and it's right there when you're on the shopping cart on Amazon, it tells you, you know, what the impact of your purchases are. And it's such a beautiful product experience. It's such a little thing, very exciting. So we've got 25 of these things that are out there now that are college students that responded to our call for ideas from the spring. And so now we're saying, we want to see more of this. So we're doing the student initiative again, but we're also doing an incubator that is 75,000 US dollars or making an investment. We're looking for these kinds of ideas. Um, love it. Love it. And Holly, how did, how did you get involved? And I know you're, you're passionate about this stuff. We often have some great chats. Um, and like, but honestly, like these are some of the nicest people I know. So I can see how you put these teams together, but you know, why is it important for you to continue to give back and, and, and play a role here when you, yeah. you know, you're facing criticism and all the, the shit that occurs with, with putting yourself out <laughs> there to, to help try and change the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's another uh, partner at Mozilla named Maria Allegra. She's CEO and founder of a company called Chartboost. And what they've been doing is they've basically been building a platform initially to where games could uh, basically give themselves a boost off the chart. She used to actually work for, for BART. And um, she she recruited me and she said, Holly, Mozilla's doing this thing. And I was like, oh, Mozilla, they're making a comeback. And um, like Patrick, and a little bit, you could see me reminisce with Bart on the good old days of how um, kind of the internet was and is, is that like, it really is um, for me personally, like to bring back some of kind of what, how beautiful it used to be. And maybe I'm idealizing it because we always idealize the past in so many ways, but um, I really felt like you could actually have conversations. Um, kind of now what Patrick was saying, you can't really have conversations online. It's just really difficult. It's like, um, and the, and even more so with the cancel culture, right? Where, hey, if I just don't listen to you, I just mute you. I just cancel you out. And then, and then it also brings in a whole other host of problems. Um, like I have a friend who's working on this one company to solve harassment. Like Patrick is right. All these women on Instagram just get flooded with this type of stuff. So the whole mission of Mozilla is to keep the internet free and open, to give the control back to the users. And for me, I think that that is something that um, like where oftentimes, you know, you and I, we've talked a lot about how the gender ratio is not as equitable, particularly in tech to have someone like Mitchell Baker, who's like founder and like chairwoman and CEO of Mozilla to say like, no, let me help protect this. Let me help give back these things in control. It's something that I think is, is, is truly inspiring in so many ways. On top of that, um, what's been actually very nice is, you know, it's always funny uh, sometimes since we're all founders here, uh, a lot of founders who end up founding companies and then they exit there's they also end up on the investor side um and there's a lot of conversation that goes back and forth what's it like being on the investor side what's it like being on the founder side and the most interesting thing about um having even just briefly working uh with helping mozilla out is that um when there's a mission attached to it it's so much more than that it's not about returning money for lps it's not to say they, I, I'm sure Bart will say you guys want something big and something impactful and meaningful, and that's something of value. But um, I, I think that it just is something deeper and much more um, to do that. And so kind of like when, like what Patrick said, like it, it, it was pretty easy. I didn't really have to think too hard when 
Maria was like, hey, you want to help out? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this makes sense. And, and you know, so I'm going to ask some of the tough questions here, but the, um, how do we fix the internet? Is this, is this, you know, when, as I'm listening to you, is this a matter of, you know, creating products that address misinformation and all this kind of stuff? Or it sounds more, more so like a cultural change and maybe just, you know, drawing more and more people to um, a better world and then that, you know, changes the culture. I'd love to hear each of your opinion on, on, on how, we, how we solve this problem, how we fix the internet. I'll start with you, Pat. Um, I mean, for me, some of the things I personally would like to see is safety being one. I think there's, it's gotten to a point now where there's a lot of people who just, they can't have normal conversations. There's, they get attacked or they'll just have horribly creepy messages sent to them. And so safety is definitely one. I think uh, just knowing that someone's real because there is a problem also with just a lot of bots and things, especially in social media, especially with recently with, you know, other countries trying to interfere with elections and other things like that. There's a lot of fake profiles, you know, think about most dating companies, dating apps. I think a huge percentage of those profiles are just straight up fake, you know, and having knowledge that someone is who they say they are. Um, And then the last thing is just, I don't know how you solve it exactly, but just being able to have a, a real discussion um, even if you don't agree on things, I don't know how you get back to that. But like with Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, sometimes we would have trolls, but usually if people were in the message boards and they're arguing about a movie because they have uh, disagreements about the movie, they could still do it in a way that was reasonably civil. Like it might get a little bit heated, but they could still have a conversation. They could still agree to disagree. And now I just it doesn't happen. You just go look at anywhere. Go on Twitter, look at any, you know, even remotely political post or any news article and people just yell at each other. No one hears each other. And I don't I don't know if this is like a we need to fix America problem or if we need to fix the Internet problem. But there is something that has happened over the last few years, I think maybe the last decade, that it wasn't as bad before. I mean, I might be imagining it, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't this bad. Like this is the worst I've ever seen it. These are things I personally feel like could use a lot of fixing. I don't think you're imagining it at all. Um, but what, what are you thinking, man? What's the, the ultimate outcome for you? I, for me, it's about concentration of power. And I think there's too much of it going on. And um, like Bernie Sanders has this thing that he goes around saying, it's like the wealthiest three families in America own more wealth than the bottom half of the entire country. That's three families, you know, versus 150 million people in America. And I think there's too much of that going on, too much of the power shifting to three or four big tech companies, to three or four super rich individuals. Um, And I think we are all part of that system. I love entrepreneurs. I love profitable businesses. I think capitalism is sort of the best system we have in general. Um, But, you know, I spent a few months at DuckDuckGo and it was a different culture. The culture was we can be successful. We can be profitable. They've always been profitable for like 15 years now. Um, and we don't have to play necessarily into the salary system of Silicon Valley and into the wealth and hyper growth system. And so with Firefox, that was a nonprofit that reached hundreds of millions of people. It's generated a ton of opportunity. Um, I think the world would be better off if we had more, like, why does it have to be Uber everywhere? Why, you know, why can't we have more of that all around the world? Why does Amazon have to sort of own all of retail 
Um, so I hope that we can be part of a movement that distributes power sort of more evenly and more broadly around the world and around the tech industry and where we don't all have to chase the same thing of like, I built a $30 billion company and 47 people are going to divide that money. Oh, you know, that's just not a great world to be living in. So over time, if this thing works out, can we allow people to think more broadly about what are you trying to do with your life? What is meaningful to you? What kind of company are you wanting to build? What kind of profitability are you, are you trying to get to? And distribute power more broadly. I love that. And I think it kind of resonates what you know Patrick was saying about having the, the passion for the business as opposed to being opportunistic, right. as he said, you know. And Holly, what do you, you know, what do you, what are you loving? Um, and then I want to get into, um, we're not gonna, it's not going to be all doom and gloom. I want to see, you know, talk more like what Patrick said, uh, Bart said about some of these wins you're seeing, but what are some of the things you'd like to see, you know, come out of the, out of the program? Yeah. I mean, for me personally, or just like fixing the internet, like uh, a lot around like safety and identity. So uh, it's kind of funny because, you know, when I was a kid, when we would fundraise, we would just go knocking door to door and kids with neighborhood kids would sell us things. Nowadays, if someone knocks at my door, I'm like, who are you? Why didn't you email me first? (laughs) Right. So there is this weird concept of like, everything has kind of, you should be, if you know, if you're knocking and you see me, I feel a little unsafe, which is kind of weird. Like, and I think it's partly because uh, it does relate to what Patrick was saying around these bots of like, catfishing is now a term, right? Like we didn't know who that was. And I think that also has lent to, uh, well, it's also stemmed from um, the whole idea of how easily everybody's identity is out there, particularly in the U.S. Um, information is out there, easily hacked, and it doesn't belong to its people anymore. Um, and that's a problem. Like I, I remember uh, my partner would always say, it's always so strange, and I will I don't mean to throw them under the bus, but it's a good example. Like Facebook um, uses all of our information and sells it, but we don't even see a single piece of that, right? We don't know where it's going, what it's doing. They're changing a lot of laws and they're trying to change this, but um, you know, in, in Europe and probably in Australia, everywhere, they're, they're a bit better at this, but I, I think we can get a lot better, um, particularly in the US. And I think it would go a long way to, in some ways, democratizing the internet in so many ways, because it's not the same experience, particularly if you're of a certain gender. Um, and this kind of falls into the second thing where I, I think I would love to see a little bit more is, it, and I, I see the world changing in this way, like the changing of credentialing. Um, so obviously universities are really trying to figure this out. What do your credentials mean? And like things like GitHub, like I look at GitHub and today I think they release like a profile. Like you can now have a profile and somebody who loves to hack and loves to design is just like, here here are my credentials. This is what I've done. It's kind of reminds me of like when you would talk to uh, coders and developers, it's like, hey, where's the documentation? They're like, read the code. This is the documentation. It's like moving a bit more into that world. But I, I do love the idea of kind of democ- like reducing some of those barriers more and more. And you kind of see this change and you even see it with, um, you know, Lambda School will be doing this push where, where Lambda School is uh, basically you... Uh, it, it is kind of a boot camp, but you don't pay until you get a job and there's an income share agreement, right? Um, so it is a very different type of, uh, I, I think that's really changing. It. So, and you see this careening of the internet and COVID and with universities and how do you find out what's real, what's not. I do think some really phenomenal entrepreneurs will, can help us figure this out. And that's what Mozilla is there for, to help support those entrepreneurs. 
Absolutely. Um, so uh, uh, both Patrick and yourself also, you're also seeing companies on, on behalf of Mozilla, right? Are you, are you able to talk about some of the things that are exciting or is it still behind the closed doors or? Um, I mean, for me, I, I only recently kind of started helping out. So I've been much more focused on just spreading the word. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been seeing, I've been seeing a couple of some of the MVP stuff a little bit. Um, and some of them is pretty cool, just like Emilio um, and Neutral. Those are really great. We've seen ones, um, some of them move incredibly fast. Um, there was one company that moved into, it was a, a recommendation, they were, they were doing something else, but then they moved into almost like anybody can have a little Amazon recommendation center. So and I thought that was really cool. Um, there's another one that's um, definitely working on. Um, helping creators figure out how to monetize their online events. Um, I thought that one was really cool. Jam, jam yeah, sesh. Is that that one? That. Jam sesh. Yeah. Oh, really? I'll send it to you. It's yeah. jam sesh. It's- we had this great conversation with, uh, with uh, Patrick, uh, is it Flanagan, the founder of, uh, of Stripe? Uh, Patrick Collison. Patrick Collison. Yeah. What a, sorry, my apologies. What an amazing, um, what that an amazing really founder. Yeah. Yes. That was really good. He was amazing. That was like two days ago. So now yeah. we're having like interesting conversations on some of these teams that we're supporting. How cool is that? Yeah. And then, so what are some of the wins? And like, I mean, obviously people having this conversation now, you've got great support. Like how does this, how does this evolve? And, and, um, obviously I'm, I'm guessing you're happy with the progress so far and what's the, I think there's two things, you know, I hope we look up in a year or two and there's some products out there in the market that are making a dent in the universe in the way that Firefox made a dent in the universe. Right. There's big things out there that are reaching and impacting the lives of hundreds of millions of people, you know, and I think we're on this track. I don't know if it's going to take one year or two years or three years, but like, can we find amazing ideas and people and help get them into the market so they can um, change the world for the better? And then the second thing that's just as exciting is we now have 2000 people on our Slack and it's starting to feel like a place. I think what Holly and Maria did today, uh, where we had these women entrepreneurs, uh, these female entrepreneurs come together on Zoom and talk about their ideas for startups and get feedback and, and mentoring from Holly and others, that felt like a new community being being born. I know it's not the only place where women in, in tech are congregating, right? But but there's these community aspects that feel so powerful and so exciting. That's the second big thing that I hope is going to come out of this. Absolutely. So uh, what what... How do I get people, how do we, what's the call to action here, but Cool. Yeah. We're looking for ideas in three categories. The first one is massive consumer internet categories that shape our lives online. That includes, for example, job search. That's one that, that Holly right, just mentioned, right? That's a big deal. It could be a search engine. It could be a social networking app. It could be the next TikTok. It could be the next, you know, um, Clubhouse, which is a little darling of du jour in Silicon Valley now, right? Um, like these massive categories, like a web browser and a messaging app, that shape and they're here, you know, these, these temple experiences on the internet, right? So, so we want to see those. And then we want to make sure that the founders share our values and that it feels like it's part of the solution. It's part of a movement towards an, an open internet where users are in control of their data, et cetera. Second category is um, privacy. Uh, so apps and services that increase privacy and put users in control of their data and fight filter bubbles. So we talked about filter bubbles and misinformation. We've talked about privacy and I want to control my data and I want to feel more safe online. All of that stuff is the second big bucket. And the third big bucket is the blockchain and the distributed internet. It feels like it's a five or 10 year thing, 
but there's something big underway that could be a whole new internet that's emerging, right? So on the browser side, there's Brave and there's a whole ecosystem that they're trying to build over there, right? But there's so much, so many exciting ideas that are probably going to take three to five years, maybe longer to bubble and to really reach maturity, but that's exciting. So we want to see ideas there that are not sort of get-rich-quick ICO schemes, but that are about leveraging this radical distributive power to create new marketplaces, to provide insurance opportunities, to create all sorts of new marketplaces all around the world um, to benefit communities and people that need them. Absolutely. You should also tell them Bart, uh, where to apply, what's the URL, what's the deadline. Yeah, we have a website. Well. It's uh, mozilla.org slash builders. We have a little flyer, so I don't know if you have a way to link that out with uh, with the podcast, et cetera, but uh, happy to share that. But mozilla.org slash builders, uh, we're hoping that people will apply in the next 10 days or so. We'll probably take some rolling applications that come in throughout the month of June. Absolutely. So big call out there to everyone. Thank you. Oh, and so, yeah, yeah and the funding is we have 75,000 oh, US yeah. dollars uh, for startups. And that comes with what's called a safe. That's the Y Combinator created that concept of it's a, it's an investment that starts off as a loan and ends up being, in most cases, 3.5% of the startup when they raise money. So $75,000 into startups is the first program. And the second program is for things that are not yet startups. Maybe they're open source projects or computer students uh, that are launching a project. Uh, we have this thing called the MVP Lab, and there we're making available $16,000 uh, in funding with no strings attached. Incredible. So that's it. Big call out to all the uh, entrepreneurs out there changing the world. Big thank you to Bart, Holly, and Patrick. Love you guys. And um, yeah, make sure you head over to Mozilla and apply. Like I said, it's closing soon. Want to make sure you get get your applications in. Um, And um, thank you all for joining me. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Good chat, Patrick. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.